So uh, a few weeks ago, we were driving up the highway, and as we continued to get closer and closer to uh, the north part, northern part of Arizona, the temperature was dropping outside. And it was a kind of thing that you start to notice just even in the car, because uh, you know when you leave Phoenix, it doesn't matter what time of year, you have air conditioning on, and then uh, you kind of get a little cold, so you turn it down, you turn it down a little more, and then you can turn it off. And as it starts to get a little bit colder, you, you can touch the windows and you feel it, and it fogs up a little bit. Uh, and as we get closer and closer, we start to see like just little patches of snow under the bases of trees where it's still shaded and protected from the sun. Uh, And so every year we make this trek. There's a tradition of my family. I think I've only missed it in my entire life like once. Uh, And every year we make this trek the weekend after Thanksgiving because we go up north near Flagstaff and we look for our Christmas tree. And it's my family now and with, with my kids and, and my parents and grandpa and, and other families that we've been friends with and they've been friends with for longer than I've been alive. And uh, we get together and we, we kind of do Christmas tree hunting, which sounds kind of weird. Could you just walk into a forest and you look for trees? It's not that hard. Um, but it's this opportunity for us to kind of kick off the season. And it's this tradition that I just, I love because it's just special and unique. And uh, it's a way for us to get engaged into the spirit of Christmas as soon as we can, the weekend right after Thanksgiving, because that's the right time to start listening to Christmas music. Um, Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, And it's this way that now, like my son's almost three, so he's just old enough to kind of trip around the forest and pick up sticks and try to hit me with them and uh, look at the beauty of the trees and find which one's going to be the one for us and, and help to find other people's trees. And it's this way that we just I don't know, it's just something special. I get to see Christmas through his eyes a little bit. What traditions do you look forward to? What traditions did you have when you were growing up that you reminisce about and remember and and just kind of wish you could recapture that feeling? As I was sitting in a coffee shop this week, even just uh, listening to someone behind me as I was actually working on this sermon, uh, because I'm nosy, I was listening to them. And uh, he was talking about how Christmas just doesn't feel like it used to. It doesn't feel the same. And I don't know how old this guy was, but I feel like I've probably felt that way for more than a decade. I felt like Christmas isn't like it was when I was a kid. Like the traditions don't feel the same. And some of the things we used to do, we don't do anymore. Some of the things we do now, I don't know if we should keep doing. It just doesn't feel the same. You know what I'm talking about? You have some of those traditions that you you wish you could recapture, but even when you do them, even when you fight and struggle and try to do it, Christmas just doesn't have that same magic. There's just something missing. There's something that just doesn't feel that way, that you want it to, that you expect it to, that you hope for it to. It just doesn't feel that way. Well, as we look at John 1, we start to get this picture of what Christmas is supposed to be like bigger than the feelings, bigger than the traditions, bigger than the emotions that we associate with a season. It's this picture of the love and mercy and grace of God. It's this picture of who Jesus is. It's a bigger picture than trees and traditions. So you can follow along as we continue in John 1. I'm gonna start in verse nine this morning. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
John continues after highlighting the, the beginning, right? The, the, the light is coming into the darkness and then highlighting the partner, John the Baptist, who came alongside as a forerunner to declare Jesus's arrival, that the true light has entered into the world, right? This sense of true light, meaning the creator of all things, the one who gives life itself to us, the true light came into the world and the world didn't know him. We get this sense in which there's an inextricable link in scripture, especially the imagery in this, in, this sense, in this passage where you can't divide life and light. And we kind of understand that, right? When we talk about how people are maybe sick in the hospital, we look into their eyes and it's missing, it's missing a light. When someone's walked down a path of destruct, self-destruction, right? An addiction or, or other types of decisions that have caused them to fumble and stumble and pain and suffering, they just, they lack this sense of light and life. And so we understand the imagery that John is trying to paint, but the miracle here is that the light entered into the world, into the midst of darkness. It came in and no one noticed. Right, that's the, the crazy thing about the Christmas story is that Jesus comes into the world and there's not really any fanfare. Right, that he comes in as a baby, born in a barn, not a lot of people around. No one really cares too much. Some shepherds kind of hear a baby crying or something. They're just, what's going on? Let's go celebrate this baby being born, I guess. And then there's some other guys, we call them the wise men or the magi. A few days or a few months later, they come by and they bring some gifts, gold, nice, frankincense and myrrh. I think it's like potpourri, I don't know. Um, and that's about it. There's an anxious king who's worried that this might be uh, the birth of the one who's going to overturn him. And then over a couple of years, Jesus just kind of fades into childhood. The true light entered into the world and the world didn't really care. In fact, even at the end of Jesus's ministry, after the miracles and the preaching and the prophecies and the traditions and the teachings, after everything he did, after the following that he garnered, Pontius Pilate stands, this is the judge, the Roman ruler who holds Jesus's life in his hand. He basically just washes his hands of the situation. He gives him back over to the Jews and says, just do whatever you want with him. In other words, Jesus doesn't really matter to me. He takes a step back and says, you decide. He's not worth me being the judge. The world just rejected him or is apathetic towards him. Didn't really matter. Merry Christmas. But the truth is we do that a lot. I mean, the world around us has this season that's been littered with all of this sort of Christian language. The joy and the peace and the hope that the Christmas season is supposed to bring. The cheer and the, the peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Everything that we kind of highlight and accentuate about this season is rooted in the gospel, and yet we forget the gospel part. And so the world around us tries to continue to put uh, emphasis on the garland and the lights and the glitz and the glamour and the presence and everything else around it except the good news that brings that peace, the good news that brings that hope, the good news that brings us light and life. I mean, I love Christmas movies. I don't know about you, but I, I just like turn them on. It drives Lauren crazy. 
Like, I just, I'm not even watching them sometimes. I just have to have it on. I'll turn it on and I'll go do the dishes. I'll go do some other chores. I'll go outside and walk the dog, but I made sure that movie had to start before I left. Just because like, there's a list of them that I need to get through and just that this is the next one. This is the next one. But the cool thing about Christmas stories is there's a lot of redemption stories in them. Right? There's a lot of like, oh, a change of heart, a, a turning of, of some, the classics have it. And, and even some of the more modern movies, they continue to, to show this, right? And so the Grinch, the Grinch stole all the presents, all the food, all the lights, took everything he could out of that town. And yet at the sound of the singing of the Who's, his heart grew three sizes that day. And Dickens' classic character, Ebenezer Scrooge, every once in a while we sing a song kind of about him, right? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Um, but the, the classic character, Ebenezer Scrooge, he's a trope, right? Every single Christmas you have these characters depicted in TV shows and movies. There's, there's uh, pictures of, of this character in, in Bill Murray and Ryan Reynolds uh, and the, my favorite, A Muppet Christmas Carol. We have Michael Caine and the great Gonzo. Come on. You have this picture of redemption where Ebenezer Scrooge goes through the, the series of Christmases in his life where he reflects on all the missed opportunities, all the relationships that he had failed, all the things that he had put as a priority over the true things that matter. And yet not once really is it Jesus. I mean, tiny Tim, God bless us, everyone. But that's, that's it. The true meaning of Christmas gets boiled down to something about the season and the spirit of it, the, the joy of it, a reminder that relationships, that our family and that our friends, that uh, it's not about presents. Uh, it's not about finding love, no matter what Hallmark movie you're watching tonight. It's, it's just the sense of the spirit of Christmas is gonna change us. It's that warm cider or cocoa. It's the smell of a fresh cut tree. It's, it's cookies and lights. And that's what's gonna make us good people. And as long as we value that and cling to that, that is what matters. Merry Christmas. But it's not that, is it? The world takes the focus away from Jesus, away from the miracle of the light entering into darkness, away from him, and puts it on whatever else it can monetize, whatever else it can advertise. It's movies, it's TV, it's everything around us. But that's not really unique, is it? I mean, that's not unique to this season. That's the world that we live in. When we acknowledge the fact that we live in a world where the, even in Christmas, the backdrop is rejection of God. The backdrop is sin, because that's really what sin is. It's just rejecting God. The backdrop is a division and, and hatred. It is greed and striving. It's violence. Right, when we look at the, the news and the media and social media, all we see is continued reminders of the, the pain and the suffering that sin is causing in this world. All of those things. So it's not just the Christmas season, that's just life. And that's the beauty of the Christmas story is that God knew every single bit of that. He knows every single ounce of darkness that is in this world. He experiences first by Adam and Eve and then generation after generation from humanity, rejection of the, by the people who are created in his image. And so for Jesus to enter in in the world to just not really care, for it to be a stone thrown into a creek where the ripples are washed away before it's over, it's to be expected. 
But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just the world. Verse 11, Jesus was rejected by his own people. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So you have this picture of Jesus being rejected in the world where the world didn't really acknowledge him or, or, you know, ultimately led to his death. But really, he came to his own people. He came to the people that were waiting for him. He came to the Jews who had these prophecies that called for the Messiah to come. He came to people that were, that were longing to see the world transformed. He came to people that were waiting for their king to arrive. He came to people who had heard stories about the God who was faithful, the God who provided, the God who rescued them, the God who, who encouraged and loved them, the God who protected them, the God who provided for them. And he came to the people who would know him. And as he arrived, they rejected him. Jesus came as a baby, raised as a child. And by the time he started his ministry as a man, he was already against the eight ball, being baptized by John the Baptist and calling for repentance. He had groups that doubted him. I don't think this is the guy. He should be taller, shouldn't he? I don't think this is the guy. We need to get rid of him. The things that he says, that's not according to the customs that we have. The things that he does, well, he talks to people we shouldn't talk to. He associates with things that we shouldn't associate with. That is not a man of God. This is who Jesus was. Accused, tried, crucified. He came to people and as he did, as he did thousands gathered to hear him. Right? Thousands gathered to hear the things he was teaching and, and to listen to what he had to say about the word of God and the testimony of God. And hundreds witnessed as he performed miracles and even performed miracles on them, healing them, making the blind see and the deaf hear and so on and so on. All of these things continuing and culminating in, in dozens of people calling themselves his disciples. Dozens of people going out and performing miracles similarly in his name by the power of his name as his disciples, to the point where he had all of this fervor around him. And yet at the same time, by the end of the week, by the end of his ministry, Jesus was arrested and crucified with one at his feet. One disciple left, standing next to his mother. And after his death, just a few of them sitting in a room, scared, not knowing what to do next. I guess we should just go back to fishing. I guess he wasn't it. So it wasn't just the world that rejected him. It was his own people. They expected him. They were waiting for him and they denied him. But God wasn't surprised. Verse 13, or verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, despite the rejection that Jesus encountered, despite uh, fleeing from, from persecution, despite working hard in the midst of, of discri uh, discrimination and discrepancies, and, and despite fighting against the culture that he was born into in order to teach people the way of God, he was still willing to put himself on the line, to suffer death on the cross for their sake and for our sake. Despite the rejection that he experienced, he wasn't defeated. 
he continued to press forward. He continued to pursue the will of God. He continued to make the sacrifice that he had come to make in order to bring salvation. And with that came an open invitation to every one of us that have rejected him. Come, come and find salvation. Come and receive adoption as my sons and daughters. Come, your rejection doesn't hold you back. Come and don't reject me again. Come, come to me to everybody who puts their faith in him, to everybody who receives him, they've been adopted as sons and daughters. And so this, this history, this passion, this zeal, that everything was focused on finding the Messiah and, and thrown out, Jesus still said, come and believe in me. Come and trust in me. And this adoption shockingly overcomes the separation by sin our separation from God, our separation from our fellow man because of the rejection and the devastation of sin. Come. And it comes by being born of God, not by born of the blood, right? In other words, not because of uh, being, right, uh, being born in the right family, having the right last name, having the lineage and the heritage that puts me in this proper place so that I have a relationship with God that I will be blessed. And sorry to those of you who weren't born this way not by your ethnicity or your nationality, come and be born of God. And not by your own will, not by the things that you can do, not by the number of Bible studies you've attended or the number of prayers you've prayed or the number of uh, times you've tithed or the, the number of ways that you've served. It's not by the actions that you've done. It's not that, well, I've rejected God this much, but I've done this much good to overcome it. It's not by that either. And not even by the, the will of others, not by the will of someone who's been seeking after you and trying to get you to come to church and inviting you. And, and maybe you're here for the first time just because they won't stop telling you to come. Uh, it's not by their efforts even that saves you. Our salvation is in Jesus basically rejecting our rejection. Our salvation is in him being persistent and consistent in coming to seek his people so that all who receive him can be saved. Our salvation, our hope, our, our desire is fulfilled in him. May our hearts long to be content and fulfilled and satisfied. And even in the midst of our rejection of God, we still long for a reunion with him. That's the message of Christmas. Look, there's no magic in Christmas. There's not. The trees are great and then the cookies are awesome uh, and presents are fine. And I love the movies still. But the power is in the name of Jesus. Look, we just had all of these families up here. And I think my greatest desire right now in life is for my kids to grow up to know Jesus and to, and to love Jesus and to know that they are loved by him. I pray that almost every night over them. Uh, those three things, because that's like the greatest thing in the depths of my heart. Like I wanna make sure that my marriage is healthy and that my kids know Jesus. Like I think that's all I need in my life. I can't save them. My, I'm not saying my prayers don't matter. I still pray. I'm not saying my efforts as a father don't matter. I still do what I can to make sure that they know him, but I can't save them. And they can't save themselves. It's Jesus. He's the one that saves them. He's the one that invites them into his family. See, God's heart is for people made in his image to be reunited with him. God's heart is for people made in his image to know the joy and the satisfaction and the freedom of having hope in Christ. I just wanna be a part of that. 
I want to be a part of helping people experience that freedom. I want to be a part of helping people understand the depths of joy that comes to know the God who created you in his image. The hope that comes when you feel like you don't have to be the one in control of everything. You don't have to be the perfect person that every action you've ever taken and the weight and the shame and the guilt that comes with it has no hope. I wanna be the person that, I wanna be one of the people that just helps you see that, helps you understand the power and the work that Jesus has done. I wanna be a person that's dedicated to that and committed to that and, and, and is part of, honestly, just, just my life. I think, you know, when we talk about Christmas Eve, there's a, there's a misconception that can come is that we just want like this big crowd. And don't, don't misunderstand me. I really do want a big crowd on Christmas Eve. I want this room to be filled with more people than it's ever filled with before. I'm not kidding. I really do. I want every pew filled and, and every candle that we have. I want to run out of candles. Like the candles lighting is my favorite part. I hope I don't have one because we just have too many. I had to give it away. But I don't care about a crowd. I don't care how many people are here. I don't care about getting more and more people to satisfy my soul or whatever. It's just, that's not what I'm after. What I'm after is from the crowd, a few people coming back because they heard a song that they've sung a million times since they were a kid, but it just, something changed. In them, something was different. That some guy got up here and talked about a book that was older than their great-great-grandparents. And yet somehow this time it seemed to connect. It seemed like he was talking just to them. I want a crowd of people because out of that crowd, people are gonna come and participate in a community of disciples who understand that their magic of Christmas is, is kind of a movie myth, but there's power in the name of Jesus. And we want them to see that even for the first time to understand that and to believe that. I do want a crowd here on Christmas Eve, but it's not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say that the 24th was the best 24th ever. I want a crowd here so that by the time we get to June, there's disciples. There's husbands who are better husbands than they've ever been before. There's, there's women who are better managers than they've ever been before. There's students who are more dedicated to their studies because they find a purpose and a passion in what they're gonna do in their career. I want a crowd so that we can see the people out of that crowd that come to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to know that they are loved by him, to know that they're his children, to be adopted as sons and daughters. That is what I want. And I want that every Sunday. I want that every day of my life. And I want you to come and be a part of that. And so I don't care what you wore to church today. I just, I don't care what clothes you wore. The fact that you're here, you are welcome. I don't care if you had to chain smoke in the parking lot just to be able to last an hour without getting another one. That's okay. We'll work on it, but we'll start right there. I'm just glad you're here. I don't care if you, who you vote for next November. I don't care what, um, what other things you think are more important. What's most important is Jesus. Right? It doesn't matter if you step onto this campus and you're frustrated because you're too busy criticizing people than to think about the gospel. There's healing. There's hope for you. God is gracious so you can be gracious to others. Come on. It doesn't matter if you're riddled with guilt and shame because you've been cheating your business partner, you've been cheating your family. There's a starting place and God's invitation is to come. There's an opportunity for us to look at this season and to think, man, if I just had a little bit more cocoa, or a peppermint latte, or whatever it is that might make me feel the Christmas spirit, then everything would be okay. Or we could say that Christmas is bigger and better than all of that. It's about God's adoption. 
that through his son, we are invited to be sons and daughters alongside him. That through his sacrifice and his willingness to come into this earth, amidst the destruction, amidst the devastation, amidst the pain and suffering and sin of rejecting God and all the chaos that that's created, we can find true peace. We can find true hope and we can find rest. Let's invite people into that this season. And let's try to live that out ourselves. God wants to bless us as his sons and daughters. Let's invite others to to feel the same. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for uh, this season. I'm grateful for this church and all that you're doing in the lives of people, Father. I pray that uh, the kids running around and throwing things and uh, trying to play the drums in the midst of of everything else, God, that it just be a reminder of the blessing that we have uh, to steward the, the resources, but also just the people in our congregation where we have a community of disciples that encouraging one another and lifting up one another. And and in the midst of of every kind of distraction, frustration, and anxiety that comes with this season and every other season in life, God, you are a God who loves us. You're a God who gives us rest, a God who gives us hope, and a God who gives us peace. That as your sons and daughters, we can come to you as our heavenly father, that you desire to bless us and that you desire to see us know you more. That our rejection of you is not one that is uh, insurmountable but as one that you have overcome by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And in that, an open invitation to come and rest in you, Father, to come and be with you, to be a part of your family. Father, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.